Well, we continue our, our fall series uh, today called Healthy Habits, uh, Predictable Patterns for Spiritual Growth. And uh, this is, as I said last week, a kind of back to basics series focusing on the fundamentals of uh, seeking God and, and really kind of zeroing in on the small things that we can do, the, the small changes, the small additions we might be able to make to, to our lives to see different results, you know, something new in our, in our lives spiritually and, and overall. So in this series, we're looking at eight healthy habits that really foster spiritual growth. Uh, and again, if practiced, can become these kind of predictable patterns uh, in our lives. Not so much so that we change ourselves, uh, but predictable ways that we present ourselves before the Lord so that he can transform us, so that he can bring our, our real lives now in, into alignment with the person we've been declared to be in Jesus. That's, that's the point of all of this. So, uh, and we always remember that we can't fix ourselves. I hope you know that about yourself. If we could, if you could, we would have accomplished it long ago. We can't. So we simply present ourselves to Jesus. So last week, we looked at the habit of reflecting, meaning reflecting on scripture, that is. And today, we look at the habit of praying. Um, And before we read the text, let's do just that. Pray with me, please. Uh, Lord, do please pour out your spirit on us as we read the scripture. We confess before you, we acknowledge with your church around the world today that if any of us are to know you, it will be only because you show us, you, you reveal yourself to us, you make yourself known and enable us to understand and come into relationship with you. So we ask that you would do that again now, again, uh, God, that you'd pour out your spirit on us and help us know your presence, lean into our friendship, our relationship with you, uh, all according to your goodness. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It was back in 2005 when author David Foster Wallace gave the graduation address at Kenyon College down in Ohio, and he started his speech with this little story. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit. And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what in the world is water? And Wallace went on to make this point. The most obvious, important realities are often the ones that are the hardest to see and talk about. So true, so true. I was a management major in college, a business major. I got a degree in organizational behavior. And in that world, the name Peter Drucker is a big name. He's written a whole ton on management and leadership, just really, really great stuff. And one of his more famous lines is this, culture eats strategy for breakfast. (laughs) Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And if you haven't been in a place of kind of leading a group of people or you haven't grappled with this, it seems kind of weird. He's not saying that strategies are unimportant, they're, they're very important. All he's saying is that the culture of an organization, though unseen, has a kind of overwhelming power that will move the organization according to the values of that culture over the best laid plans of the organization. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And the same is true in society. A societal culture has a kind of overwhelming power to shape the people living in it according to that culture's beliefs and values. 
And as a person living in the culture, you might not even know that you're being shaped to look like that culture. Sometimes we're like the two young fish, right? What in the world's water? Completely unaware of the water in which we're swimming. Psychologist Carl Jung put it this way, the world will ask you who you are. If you don't know, it will tell you. Uh, I'm not sure what his exact angle was, but certainly there's a tremendous spiritual truth there. The world is trying to conform us to its image. It was the passage we looked at last week. Remember Romans 12 too? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is so very important for Christians to understand. This is a big ticket item. The world is trying to tell you who you are. Every day, a thousand times a day, the messages are consistent and unrelenting. The world is trying to tell you who you are. So, we not only need to be aware of that, we need to combat it, to fight against it, to organize together and and pray against it, right? And right here is where the whole habit thing comes into play, healthy habits. What do we do? How do we do this together? How do we do this as followers of Jesus? There's been a whole lot of writing uh, kind of in the larger business and secular world around uh, the idea of habits over the last 20 years. Charles Duhigg wrote a book titled The Power of Habit. James Clear wrote a book titled Atomic Habits. These are not biblically based books, but they all seem to be barking up the same psychological tree. And, and that has to do with the power of a little habit. If you just take a little thing and inject it into your life and nurture that little thing, that little new behavior, until it becomes a habit, big things can happen. Duhigg defines habit in this way. A habit is a behavior that starts as a choice and then becomes a nearly unconscious pattern. A a behavior that starts as a choice and becomes a nearly unconscious pattern. This is another very important thing for Christians uh, to know about and be aware of. In 2006, a Duke researcher found that more than 40% of the actions people performed each day were not based on conscious decisions made in the moment, but on habits. Unconscious, predictable patterns in their lives. Think about that for a second. 40% of what we do is not made by conscious decision in the moment, but these unconscious patterns. Now, I'm sure you see the problem coming into focus. You got a world, a culture, a society trying to conform us to its image. It's incredibly powerful. There are spiritual realities in play all the time in this conversation. Oppression, uh, uh, voices in our inner dialogue trying to get us down, tell us who we are, all of that. Incredibly powerful force, that is. Add that to the idea that 40% of our actions are happening at the unconscious level, which I take to mean could very well fly under the radar of our conscious evaluation. So you got to ask, how much of that unconscious stuff is flowing out of us, unexamined, and in a way that has conformed entirely to the world? It's a spiritual crisis, really. Uh, Now, I feel like I say this all the time, so you might be sick of hearing it, but I love the Japanese word for crisis. Remember this? The Japanese word for crisis has two big ideas mashed together in one word, danger and opportunity. 
It's so good. It's so wise. Because every crisis involves both danger and opportunity. So the danger with regard to this one is this. The realities of culture and habit, these unconscious predictable patterns in our lives, put those two things together, they can be very dangerous because they can create in us huge blind spots. And a blind spot, by definition, is something that we cannot see and something of which we are unaware. You need help to see it. We're right in there with the two fish, right? Well, in the world's water. But then the opportunity in this crisis also revolves around the power of habit. All this research of the last couple decades around habits found that one of the most powerful tools for changing our own behavior is not trying to stop a bad habit or trying to press, you know, control, alt, delete, and reset the whole system. Sorry, you Apple users, we have to do it the hard way. And trying to change everything at once, trying to do something big. From a human behavioral perspective, that, that just never works. The most effective thing a person can do is this. One of the most powerful tools for changing your own behavior is to add one small new habit to your regular routine. One small new habit. Turns out these new little habits, this new small behavior that if nurtured over time becomes a predictable pattern, it has a name. It's called a keystone habit or a gateway habit. And the idea is it's the first uh, a domino in the line of dominoes that, that you have standing up in your life. And if you just flick that one little domino over, it'll trigger the whole chain reaction. And this has been proven over and over again, again, in, in non-spiritual things. Exercise has been proven to be one of those. If a person chooses to add the rhythm of exercise to their life, even if it's just one, a little bit per week, one time a week, it's been shown to be a keystone habit. Just exercising once a week starts to change a whole bunch of other patterns in, in that person's life. So spiritually, we know this to be true. And, and again, we didn't need all this secular research of the last 20 years to, to tell us this. Like Christians have known this for centuries. Uh, Christians have been reading the words of Jesus since not too long after he said them. Remember what he said? Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, Jesus said it. Ask, seek, knock. You know, do something. And again, not to fix ourselves, but do something. You know, when, when we ask, we're asking Jesus. When we search, we're searching for Jesus. When we knock, we're knocking on the door of Jesus. I mean, all of these are, are things that we do to present ourselves to the Lord so that he can transform us. Now, with regard to the habit for the day, praying, I mean, the whole message of the Bible shows us that God desires to communicate I mean, think about that, that one basic thought. The whole of Scripture itself is evidence that God desires to communicate with us. Uh, I go to this often, too, the, what the Belgic Confession says about the Scripture. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God because of the inner witness of the Spirit. 
when we open the Bible and read it and God speaks to us, uh, not, not audibly, at least I've never experienced that, but you followers of Christ who've opened the pages of the scripture and read the text and that message has landed on you in a way that you know it's from God with the power of no other book. Right, those lines went, and, and you know it's the Lord speaking. Right? God desires to communicate. And very simply, prayer is a conversation with God. That's just kind of it. Reflecting on scripture is about listening to God. Prayer involves both speaking and listening. Don't forget the listening part, right? You know what it's like to be in a relationship with another person who does all the talking and none, none of the listening. That doesn't feel like much of a relationship. See, the healthy habits of reflecting and praying are the two keystone habits for spiritual growth in following Jesus. They really are. And, and in a single message, there's no way to cover the whole waterfront of, of prayer. Right? It's massive. So just for today's purposes, just fostering a new, small, healthy habit, let's talk about the goal of praying, a couple common barriers, and then a model that we can use. So the goal of praying was summed up in that uh, passage from 1 Thessalonians, ha, huh, which I failed to read. <laughs> Let me read that passage for you now. It was supposed to be at the beginning. Uh, it's, it's really short. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually. That's the thing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. Um, you might be asking, how do, how do I do that? I gotta go to work. I have kids to take care of. Um, I have stuff to do. I mean, it, you know, praying continually doesn't mean that we don't do anything else and just spend the whole day on our knees. The point is, we're, we're aiming for an ongoing dialogue with God. And, uh, you know, one that lasts throughout the day. And that, that kind of relationship with God is actually possible. Not that any of us have perfected this. Nobody has, right? But, but Christians who've gone before us have written about this. Brother Lawrence, a monk from the 1600s, uh, talked about practicing the presence of God. Like how do you bring your relationship with Jesus into the act of peeling potatoes for dinner? What does that look like? Well, he did it, right? Every moment can be experienced with God. So the goal is relationship with Jesus, ongoing, ever-present and active in communication. It's a relational goal. It's not, the goal is not to accomplish something to check it off the to-do list. That's not accomplishment or achievement here. It, it's relational. Right, again, none, none of us is perfect in this, but this kind of relationship with Jesus really is possible. So that's the goal. Couple common barriers to this. Uh, first, if you are actively engaged in something you know to be wrong, your prayers will feel like throwing a dart at a steel dartboard. It'll just go ping, ping, ping. That's how it will feel to you. And if, if, if you're feeling that way and you know you're doing something wrong and you find yourself starting to get angry with God because you feel like he's not listening, stop it. God's not the problem. You are. That's the reality of it. Remember the story of Adam and Eve? They did something they knew to be wrong. They knew they were guilty. They felt ashamed. And they jumped into the bushes to hide from God. They, they 
left. They hid. They ran away. When we're involved in something we know to be wrong and continuing in it, we're separating ourselves from God by choice in terms of our experience of the relationship in our current life now. I don't believe it undoes that Romans 5 thing that we talked about at the confession of sin and the assurance, right? Therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God. It doesn't, doesn't undo that, but your relationship now with God will feel non-existent. And so that, that's one big barrier to prayer. And the, the other uh, common barrier is that we, we tend to wait to pray until we feel worthy of it sometimes. Um, you know, all of us, everybody struggles with that at some point. Like, I am not worthy and I'm not. Uh, I, I loved, loved a devotion that Oswald Chambers wrote sometime. I can't remember what day of the year it was, but it was, it was the one devotion of his that impacted me the most. And his point was this, that when we, when we come to God, we should never say that we're unworthy. We can say that we're undeserving, but it's not up to us to determine our worth. It's up to God. And in Christ, he deemed you worthy, or else he wouldn't have done it. So we are not unworthy. If we were, Christ would not have done what he did. So to God, we're worth it. Undeserving, yes. Unworthy, no. And we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not because we've made ourselves worthy, but because Jesus said we are. That's it. Goal, couple common barriers. Now, the practice. Simple, practical thing. This is probably the only healthy habit where Jesus outright tells us what to do. His disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, okay, when you pray, pray like this. And he gave them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And and we often use that in the service and we, we say together the actual words that Jesus gave his disciples. And certainly that's a powerful way to pray the Lord's Prayer. But I think it's a lot bigger than that because if you dissect the prayer, you'll see six big sections in the prayer. And I think when Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, he meant don't just recite the words every time, but use this prayer as a pattern for all of your praying. And it, and it unfolds according to the lines of the prayer. So you can see the hexagon there. We got six parts. The first, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That has to do with the character of God and, and our character, meaning our identity in Christ, our character in Christ. So our Father, Jesus said, whenever you pray, start with this, our Father. Remember that God is God and that you're not. Remember that God is a good, good father. This was likely the Aramaic word Abba, our Abba, our daddy. There's there's a familiarity of relationship in the way we're to address God uh, with a complete trust in God's love for us that, that our father is a good, good father again. And again, we're remembering that if God's the father, we're God's children who we've been declared to be in Christ, right? And then hallowed be your name. Not only is God close and personal, this is the infinite, great, holy, divine being who created everything, everywhere, and everyone. Whose name is worthy to be worshiped by everyone, everywhere. That's what we're praying in, the hallowed be thy name. 
So character. Next, kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus said, when you pray, start with relationship, the relationship that we have together. I'm the good father. You've been declared to be my child. Nothing will ever change that. The very next thing you should pray for is the coming of my kingdom. All of our praying should be kingdom focused. First and foremost, right? In, in whatever form that takes in your life. Maybe you're praying that God's kingdom would come in your life as it will be in heaven forever in some category of life right now. Sometimes we pray healing over people like this. We know that in God's kingdom there will be no illness or, or death or disease. I find myself often praying, God, may your kingdom come in this person's body right now as it will be forever in heaven. We, we pray kingdom prayers over people. Then provision, give us today our daily bread. This fosters a heart of trust and reliance upon God for providing everything we need. It's not just that you've got a job and a nice direct deposit every couple weeks into your account. I mean, we want to foster a heart that's reliant upon the Lord. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness. You know, it's a heart check. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven others. That gets in there pretty deep, doesn't it? So this is the the heart check part of the prayer. Guidance, lead us not into temptation. Guide us in all of life according to your will. Protection, deliverance, but deliver us from the evil one. This is acknowledging the spiritual realities of the world and the battle in which we're engaged. People are not the enemy. Our struggle is against principalities and powers, the, the spiritual forces of this world. That's all real. So that's a, that's a pattern that you can use for prayer. Now, I'd like you to hear about how this might be practiced. So Ted, would you come and join me? My friend Ted Cox, uh, for many years, has had a, a healthy habit. Well, kind of really the two keystone habits. I mean, reflecting on scripture and praying and for right. years, you've used the Lord's Prayer as a kind of a template uh, praying this pattern. So right. could you share with us um, like how you got started with sure. these, these habits? Sure. Uh, I think it was over 10 years ago I was working. I had a very demanding job. Uh, I was traveling domestically and globally. And uh, I wanted to improve my devotional time. And one of our sons, Ryan, gave me a call and... Uh, he had heard a message very similar to this, uh, going through the different sections of the Lord's Prayer. So I, I listened to that uh, message and, uh, and started integrating it into a daily practice. I have to admit it uh, was a little rocky at the start. In fact, I remember listening to the message probably four or five times. But I would read my scripture, reflect on that, and then work through every section. It took about maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes to do at the beginning. I, I now spend longer, but that's yeah. how I started. What, what, what came of that, Ted? Like, what fruit came? What happened in you? What did you experience as you kept doing this day by day? Well, uh, a lot, actually. I think it helped give me peace for the day. It gave me direction for the day. And I think one thing that began happening was I would kind of spend more time on a section depending on what was going on in my life. And uh, I would read it. I would reflect on it. I would listen and I think that, that took some practice and some time to listen to, for God's directions, God's will from, for that day because I did eventually integrate it in every day and now I 
and I, I don't miss it now, but, but uh, yeah, that's how, that's kind of a summary of how I would uh, do it, but it changed a lot of the direction of my life, how I felt during the day, and things that I would do. And when we were talking to get ready for this, you kind of jokingly said, hey, when I miss a day now, I feel like, I can't remember what you said, but... Oh, I can't make it through the day. Yeah, I can't make it through day. the day. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it does me, happen. Yeah, talk about the importance uh, of how this sets the, the, the track for the day for you. I mean, it really does set that, it sets that tone, especially in combination with reading the scripture. Um, it really does set the tone for how I, what I do that day, uh, the things that I may not do that day, and the priorities that I, you know, that I set. I think one thing that was very interesting was when I got to the forgiveness part, oftentimes I would reflect on the previous day. And so I would get in this pattern and I wanted to improve obviously my spiritual life and, and uh, my relationships. But oftentimes I would reflect back and, and it would really gave me good to say, oh, I could have done some things differently. I could have said some things differently. Uh, I may have missed some things that uh, I missed an opportunity to do. Yeah. And just right before the service, I asked you that question. Did that ever prompt you to go and, you know, to apologize to somebody or have a conversation that you feel like you missed the previous day because you... I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the answer is, of course, yes. It, it did multiple times, which is actually was very hard for me to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, asking for forgiveness, uh, for me anyway, it was, was, was kind of hard sometimes. And oftentimes I would go back to Deb and say, hey, I know I messed up here. I did this. I did that a lot with my kids, something that I wasn't used to. And actually in the business world, uh, I did that too, and which was very unusual uh, in the culture we had yeah, right. to actually apologize. And sometimes I did it to individuals and sometimes to groups. And uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was a habit that uh, uh, that was a hard one to, to, to start. Yeah. But it became from that reflecting piece. So one, one last one, which I didn't ask you before, but when, mm. you, when you started this, how long do you f feel like it took? Like when you were nurturing this as a new behavior, but it hadn't yet become a habit? Yeah. Like talk, talk to us about that front end. Like in, how long did you have to be really intentional with this before it became a thing you just kind of did? Well, I say it would take some time, and I'd say I'm always improving on it, but I'd say to start out with, it was at least a good 30 to 60 days. And in fact, I actually went back, because again, I heard a message similar to what you just taught. Yeah. I went back and listened to it again, because huh. maybe I thought, oh, I, you know, I, missed, I probably listened to it four or five times. But I would say it took at least 60 days to get into the habit, and I'd say now I continue to improve on it, and, and the methodology in which I go about it, and what I hear from God and all that continues to improve. But I'd say it took at least, at least that long to, to really integrate it in on a daily basis. That's great, Ted. Thank you. Would you be willing to field questions from anybody who wanted to talk to you? Yeah, sure. Okay, good. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, yeah, so a small new thing, uh, intentionally nurtured over a period of time, thir maybe 30 to 60 days, can become a predictable pattern that has big impact on our lives. And I, I really believe that both... Um, you know, reflection on scripture and praying are keystone habits that can really change everything. So your assignment for the week, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is this. Pray the categories of the Lord's Prayer. Again, not, this is not a half an hour thing. Like the picture's in the sermon note page, so you can take it home, you can stick it in a Bible or stick it on the mirror in the bathroom. Just even a couple minutes every day, just 
do that, right? It's character, kingdom, provision, forgiveness, guidance, and protection or, or deliverance. Just pray those and try that as a practice. Again, always remembering we don't change ourselves, Jesus changes us. And the goal is relationship with Jesus, not checking off the box like I prayed, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.